0: Hi everyone, my name is Maria Feria. I am part of the Peer-to-Peer Mental Health Program. And this is our podcast on eating disorders. Thank you so much for being part of this podcast. Uh, It will be a four-part series. Uh, So this first one, will just be talking about eating disorders and kind of what they are, where they come from, all that kind of stuff. So uh, we hope you listen. There are 15 minutes each. Um, And apart from that, I just want to add a trigger warning because there are some topics here that can be triggering to some. So if you don't feel up to it, if you are not feeling very well mentally, please feel free to shut this off listen to something else watch some kitties some puppies Um, your mental health always comes first so do something that makes you happy Uh, but yeah apart from that I just want to thank Kelly for coming in on this podcast he will be our guest speaker today and he has been so helpful in explaining eating disorders and everything that comes with it so thank you Kelly uh, and I hope you enjoy the podcast
1: I'm Kelly Waters-Ratcliffe. I'm a therapist at Matt Royal University Student Counseling Services, and I've been asked by the Peer-to-Peer Mental Health Educators Program at MRU to speak a little on the topic of eating disorders. I'm speaking from my experience and perspective, and I'm well aware that there's a variety of other perspectives out there, uh, some of which could be different than what I'm saying today. It's It's still important, though, to have a variety. It's important to be informed, but also critical consumers of the information we take in because this is a topic that for most people doesn't make sense. I think that's an artifact of keeping it at arm's distance. Um, and Maybe that's part of the reason why people are reluctant to speak of their experiences with disordered eating. So I'm really glad to be part of this today, to contribute to the conversation, maybe increase some understanding, because in my experience, a large part of the distress that people feel with any problem that uh, they carry into counseling is that it doesn't make sense. Um, No one wants to feel like they don't make sense. So part of the remedy is to help make problems understandable. Even though I'm speaking of the topic of eating disorder as though it's this single unitary thing, I'm really an advocate for a one-size-fits-one approach that meets the person where they are and understands the context in which their problems are generating. This is very different than a one-size-fits-all approach. So a good place to start might be to ask, what is an eating disorder? Um, There's simply lots of information available, but what it sort of hovers around are three general things. When the amounts and kinds of things that are eaten fall outside the norm, and when there are consequences on health and well-being because of that, and when all of this results from a mindset that puts us at odds with our own bodies, our size, our shape, our appearance, our performance, then we're moving toward disordered eating. And the basic categories, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, of disordered eating are anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating disorder. Again, lots of information online. I found it wise to think of these more as strategies than as things. We'll get to more of that in a little while because the experience of disordered eating is really quite fluid. And so a person can start in one place and move through all sorts of different uh, expressions of disordered eating. It isn't so much the behavior, it's the meaning of it um, and the consequences of it that are, are the most trouble. So I mentioned earlier that if part of the problem is that things don't make sense, then part of the remedy is to, is to try to help them make sense. So we should start with the idea always that the problem makes sense and disordered eating does make sense. It has to, because it's happening. And, uh, you know, millions of people have experienced this intelligent, strong, um, articulate, determined people have struggled with uh, disordered eating. So if it was easy and if it was simple, then it would be easily overcomeable, and it just hasn't been that way does make sense, it has to, because lots of smart people um, are finding themselves struggling with it. So how does it make sense that a person starts acting in eating disorder kinds of ways? Well, I'd like to pause a little right there. Uh, Even the idea of an eating disorder as a term is sort of itself at least misleading. The definition of disorder is that it's a state of confusion. From a distance, it looks very confusing but up close it's not it's uh, um it's full of rules it's full of logic another definition of disorder could be a, like a disruption of orderly behavior and it although it's although the behaviors people find themselves in in disordered eating isn't particularly normal in the sense that um, it's not statistically normal to restrict or to binge etc it's very ordered it's predictable Again, it follows the rules and expectations, um, and it has its own internal logic. Um, Disorder, another term or another meaning of it would be a disruption of function. And while that's absolutely true, that uh, physical functioning and mental well-being can be affected, um, disordered eating does serve purposes, and it does it quite well in lots of ways. And so to some extent, uh, uh, eating disorders do function. It's just that they have um, unwanted effects. What is true, though, is that when people get trapped in these um, ways of being, it does cause distress for them, uh, often in the long run, sometimes not in the short run. It certainly also causes distress to people around them when they know about it. The distress that disorienting causes is when it starts to disrupt um, the meeting of needs. And perhaps I'll speak about that a little while later. What's What I want to linger on here is that The idea of a norm is an interesting one. With 7.9 billion people on the earth this year, 2022, around about 107 billion people have existed throughout time. There's uh, one truth in there and that there's more than one way to be. There's certainly more than one way to eat. And so when we have the idea of a norm, or disorder, we should hold it loosely and ask, um, what is the problem here? People have lots of attitudes uh, towards food, and those attitudes don't stay the same even throughout the year. Some ways, the question, what is an eating disorder, is just like I mentioned earlier, what is a problem? And there's a saying, it's a bit silly, but it's kind of truthful. What is the problem with the problem? Well, the silly but truthful answer is a problem is a problem when it's a problem. And to get closer to an answer there that makes any sense, it's that a problem is a thing that gets in the way of living. It gets in the way of living our preferred lives. So what can become problematic in one's relationship with food? Number one, it can rob us of health in the long run. Uh, physical effects are wide-ranging again consult um, sources of information about this but there's there's a, a lot if we're invested in eating disorder as a way of life there can be a lot it certainly can be um, it, it can exert a tremendous uh, burden on our focus and attention maybe even before it gets in the way of health um, the the rules and restrictions and the judgments associated with the choices to restrict or to um, or to purge, etc., can take over more, of, more and more of one's energy and more and more of, over one's uh, ability to attend to living. It robs us of occasions and opportunities. It, it drains us of uh, enjoyment. And on that account, um, it can be very problematic when it interferes with work or school or relationships or our own vision for ourselves our own interests and passions, the things that we would normally do if we didn't have to focus on disordered eating so much. Those are problems. This this kind of interaction is why eating disorders are different than medical problems. We'll say, I know that there are medical problems within them, and there can be, but here's an example. When you have a broken leg, it's a broken leg. If you've got 25 doctors in a room, they would all look at the, at the leg, say, let's get some x-rays, and here's a cast, and here's some antibiotics and some physiotherapy. Um, it's, uh, the broken leg has an obvious location, an obvious pathology, and an obvious course of action. Broken leg is a noun. But when you have, I'll put rabbit ears around that, an eating disorder, you've responded to life by adopting a style of interacting with food, with your body, and that's a verb. Um, a style of interacting, that verb can change too. So disordered eating as a style of living can change. It can start off one way, as I said earlier, and it can turn into something else. It can become more bingey, more restrictive, more anorectic. It can disguise itself as exercise, a socially valued activity too, supported by many multi-billion dollar industries. I don't know if we'll speak about that, but um, there are social elements that actually support disordered eating, we'll say. But uh, EDS can also disguise themselves as diets again. Another industry it can smuggle uh, uh, can smuggle itself into ideas about health, um, eating this, eating that, not eating this, not eating that, which kind of like makes a hand puppet out of science. It animates science, which uh, the science of uh, of biology and the science of physiology and food. Which tells us that things are, some things are better for us, but it inhabits it with unhelpful ideas about um, 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 black and white thinking and perfectionism, et cetera. So, along those same lines, it can, uh, disordered eating attitudes can smuggle themselves into values. The attitudes can, in fact, take over any health initiative just by adding rigidity, perfectionism, harshness, making one's own personal value contingent on doing something perfectly. So now we're getting to the heart of what the problems are within eating disorders. So while the habits of disordered eating can cause physical problems, the phenomena itself changes how we fit, uh, not just into our pants, but into how we fit in our lives. What we'll begin to avoid in life when our relationship with food changes so much. How many things in our life revolve around food or occasions around food? So it's the spirit of the thing that becomes most damaging in the short run and in the long run to take one set of rules or specifications for living and to rigidify them, to turn them into stone, to rob us of flexibility and responsiveness in life. And to do all of this in order to be somehow acceptable to self or others. So that when we do something to be acceptable, what we're really saying is we're not acceptable. And that's pretty close to saying I hate myself, which is not a healthy way to walk around in life. So we agree that disordered eating exists, or eating disorder. I use those two terms interchangeably. I know that others don't. That's okay. We nevertheless agree that they exist. I propose that they're more like verbs than they are like nouns. They don't have a physical location in us so much as they enter our performance of living. Nonetheless, there they are. How do they get there, though? That's the next question. We. All have us have bodies. All of us have brains most of the time. And all of us have nervous systems. And regardless of what other attitudes or ideas or beliefs you have, like spiritual, etc., about who we are, it's true that we also have bodies. And bodies are complicated things, complicated and unlikely. When you consider that most of the universe is nothing, the space between things. And explosions, so nothing and explosions, then all of a sudden there's life. So one body is complicated and unlikely. What are we to make of 8 billion amidst all of the other life forms on Earth trying to survive? That's crazy. And it's maybe a little suspect to be talking about norms. Again, how many different ways of being are possible. Nevertheless, we're all born, we all have bodies, and we all perish, and that's what we know. The rest is commentary. And there's so much commentary about how to live, specifically how to live exact, just the right way, how to be a person, how to be a good person, how to be um, ethical, or how to be successful, how to be attractive. So much commentary. And we all have to find our way through it to develop some sort of relationship with the fact that we're born, have bodies, and die. And the conversation gets really big, obviously, at this stage. And it's important to go big like this so we can become critical consumers of what we're told about how to be. Because we just race from one website to another. Or or one meme to another. Here's the thing. This is the reason why I painted such a big picture a second ago. When we're born, we're not born with an eating disorder. It's not in us. So somewhere between birth and death, we take on some notions that start to set us against ourselves. What are those notions? We start consuming ideas. Some of them are great. Not all of them are good. Some of them are told to us directly. Some of them are modeled to us. Some of them are told to us indirectly through the actions, behaviors of others.
0: All right. Thank you, Kelly, for that first part of the podcast. We have learned so much. Uh, If you feel like you need any resources or anything like that, please feel free to look at the resources we have attached. And thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Can't wait to see you on the next one. Have a good one.